0: Hi, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman, the podcast. Today, we have a special treat because it's all about sci-fi and Star Trek, as you can see right here. Now, I know it's a bit uh, weird for you people because you've seen it on television. This is actually the real deal. This is the real deal. So I'm just going to beam in Tony. Pat Enterprise. Captain Kirk here. Yeah, one to beam in. Hey, Pat. How you doing, man? Hey, Tony. How you doing? Okay, Enterprise. Want to beam out? Okay, beam them back. Beam them out. Enterprise. Want to beam in? Enterprise. Want to beam out? I'm not beaming anywhere, pal.
1: <laughs> Great to be here, man. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Captain Kirk. Spock. Captain
0: Kirk, Spock. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the first time you met one of these Treksters.
1: Well, uh, let's start with the big cheese himself, Captain uh, Captain Kirk, William Shatner. And uh, I had the occasion, great little place, a dinner theater in Toronto called the Famous People Players Theater, Okay. Uh, run by a lovely lady, Diane Dupuis. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, it was a black light set, which meant that uh, the, the people working the stage, the characters were in black, but uh, they the, the had costume puppets that were iridescent that would glow in the black light. So that's how you saw the play. Uh, I, I, I championed, I think this is a wonderful theater. Uh, Diane was amazing. These were uh, some mentally challenged individuals who had a chance to express themselves as, as, as a theater company. Sure. And it was great. And so the wonderful ambassador that he is, William Shatner, he's behind this kind of stuff as Leonard Nemoy is. Uh, he was there to press the flesh and support this cause.
0: Wow. So, and, and you were there for much music or space or why were you there?
1: Yeah, I, w- I was a news guy there, just, yeah. just doing a regular story. Just doing yeah. a
0: regular news story. Yeah. Okay, great. But that's not the the only time you met Kirk.
1: No, and I've met him a couple of times since then. Uh, the second time, he probably is indelibly, I'm sure he remembers it, uh, when I was directing Ed the Star. And so I was in New Orleans at a a comic convention of sorts. Actually, this one, I stand corrected. Uh, Comic conventions we did in Los Angeles, and this particular function was a symposium where uh, broadcasters coming and selling their wares. So that's where I met, for example, Judge Judy, right? They were selling uh, court shows, court TV, right? Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. Did you accost her with Ed the Sock? No,
1: uh, she was wonderful. She was lovely and dainty and effeminate and signed the autographs for my daughters. And as soon as I talked anything about law, she was Judge Judy. Oh, it was wow. amazing. She just transformed.
0: So you're there. and Are you with Space at this time? Are you um, on there? No, you're with Ed the Sock. I'm with Ed the Sock. Yeah. Oh, God, what the hell are you doing down there with yeah. Ed the Sock? Yeah. Well, I was working on the
1: show, and I was a cameraman director for the show. Okay. And so uh, we put out the all-points bulletin that it would make sense for Ed the Sock to talk to the captain. And uh, we were basically told to fuck off, right? And uh, that being said, I uh, wouldn't give up on this. So I found out where William Shatner, uh, what day is he's gonna be speaking. Okay. And that that consideration taking into uh, account, we planned our assault. So I set up with the sock in the corner, he's all ready to go. Steve Cousin, he's lovely, he's ready to go. I got my camera on my shoulder, I'm watching. This is kind of a Trek invention. So people love to play Star Trek Ensigns. And so a lot of people, whatever, their Star Trek uniforms on, okay. they weren't gonna parade it at <clears throat> Comic-Con, they didn't have a chance, but they're gonna parade it here. So, but security lacked security. And uh, I saw a window of opportunity and I start rushing back towards William Shatner. Shatner's a very astute guy. He turns around, he sees the sock and he's shaking his head and he's going, and he goes, fuck off, and he splits. So I'm going, what a Trek moment. Yeah. I have the captain with an expletive. Amazing. So at that time, we still had TV guy, little magazine tell you what's coming up and broadcast. And I made a point of advertising that we had a feature, an exclusive with the captain. And so what happened, Pat, is I slowed it down. So every time I came to the shot, it'd be, fuck yeah. Sorry, Mr. Shatner. Lovely.
0: The man must have been terrified. You're you're attacking him with a baby gorn I, with a cigar in his mouth.
1: I and I love the reference to gorn. Uh, that's the reptilian creature. And there's always one guy who decides to wear this outfit at conventions. And kudos to you, man. Uh, shatner has got balls. He's been in space, man. Yeah. So I, I think he, he can he can take it on the chin.
0: Well, he's had sex with green women.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know,
0: one of the very few people I know who yeah, has sex also with had... green women.
1: Well, he also had met the uh, first interracial kiss on TV. That's true. Yeah, with Michelle yeah. Nichols, who happened to be Lieutenant Commander Ahura. Was she there? Uh, yes, I did meet her. I met her later with Walter Canning. And Walter Canning is uh, who played Chekhov, right? He was another Lieutenant Commander who kind of pissed off Sulu because he took a lot of screen time for him.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I understand don't. they're friends now. Like,
1: they're, oh, they're good friends now. yes and no. Uh, at... Another convention that was at the San Diego Comic-Con, amazing, you haven't been there, you gotta go. If you're a Trek fan or you're a science fiction fan of B-movies, go there. Uh, what was amazing, it was they set back-to-back and I hadn't seen that since I was in grade school. They were having issues of some sort, right? Uh, Walter was a little difficult to get along. Actually, we killed our interview short with him. We found him a little bit of a dick and we killed that, we cut that short. On the shell, hospitable, uh, she gave us a great story. and. Pat, it's amazing. Uh, and I'll segue to talk about Michelle because yeah, sure. her story is incredible.
0: Well, huge impact, right? Thank uh, you, that, yes. that kind of strength of character in the late 60s, that was…
1: Well, and the fact… This is cracking an, an egg. A, she was an African woman in late 60s as an officer, portrayed as an officer, lieutenant commander on the bridge of a starship. That'd be like being a, a lieutenant commander on an aircraft carrier. It's kind of a big deal. Oh, sure. She, had, she was an actor and she had aspirations to sing and dance on Broadway. Yeah. So she got called, she got a better contract and thought, hey, that's where I'm gonna head. Wow, fate, man, karma. They all play an interesting game in our lives, Pat. And it's mm-hmm. important to listen to them or feel them, right? So she went to this uh, NWACP convention and there lo and behold, she meets Dr. King, Martin Luther King. Right. And Dr. King walks up and goes, I'm a huge Trekkie fan. She goes like, she's gobsmacked. What? She's just out of somebody else seeking autographs. She turns out it's Dr. King. And she told him, she finally shut down and said, you know, Dr. King, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the show. And he goes, you can't go now. Michelle has told this a million times and key fans have heard this, but she tells it to you like the first time. Yeah. And what was profound, Pat, is I understood what was happening at that time in the 60s. Don't forget uh, George Takei, who played uh, Lieutenant Commander Sulu, mm-hmm. <clears throat> also on the bridge and pardon me, folks. Uh, so we're seeing this ethnic cast. This can be the future. You, don't, you know, what is an extraterrestrial? You know, it's whatever you deem it to be. And so he said, this is an inclusive world in the United right. Federation of Planets. It makes sense, right? So, the Dr. King turned around to her and he said, and I'm gonna quote you, because this is amazing. He said, Michelle, you can't do this. He said, quote, this is not a black role. This is not a female role. For the first time, for the first time on television, they can see us as we should be. Those are profound words for you. Oh
0: yeah, hallelujah, She went around,
1: uh, turned around, went right back to Gene Roddenberry and said,
0: I apologize, I'm staying. Yeah, Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, let's talk about other aliens. Yeah, You know, yeah. Um, not the type that have visited me, yeah. but uh, Spock, have you, you, have you met Spock? Yeah, and
1: uh, that was total serendipity. I'm driving up Mount Pleasant Avenue, um, right? Okay. And as I'm driving up, I look to my left and I, I, I know what a film set looks like. I've seen trailers and, and, and there's the honey wagon. So yeah, these guys are camped here. And, uh, and I look and I went, oh, I saw this sign, three men, a baby, right?
0: Oh, so wow. So guess who's
1: directing Three Men and a Baby? Leonard Nimoy, director of Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. And I go, you know what? I'm just gonna go and visit him. And so I pull over, I had a camera, I thought, why well, I'm gonna shoot something. So I pull over and I see the security. It's always a good thing to check with security pack if you don't wanna go anywhere. So I just walked around them and I went up to Leonard Nimoy who was directing the scene, wait until he finishes, cause I'm a courteous guy, and uh, he turned around and I said, hey, look, Ben, I'd like to meet you. Can I get a clip for, uh, for TV? Well, they shoot a little bit of scene to me directing. So I shot that. And he turns back to me. and goes, what do you think? And I said, honestly... <laughs> this is the guy with the Spock ears. Honestly, I don't think it's going to work. And he goes, what? I go, like, oh, no, I think it's kind of flat, man. And he went, okay. And now he's a little more commanding. Okay, roll.
0: Ta! Ah, nice.
1: And he goes, that should do it. Okay, you're out of here. And wow. That was the first time I met him.
0: That's terrific. Yeah. But... That wasn't the only time you met him.
1: No. Uh, no, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the last time I met him, I was at uh, working for entertainment tonight. I was at the convention center in Toronto and uh, I was working with a former Olympian, uh, Rosie Eady, who works uh, for Entertainment Tonight. And she's an African Canadian woman, lovely, spelt, Olympian, beautiful woman. Uh, and I knew that because uh, Willie uh, kept hitting on her, right, it's great, she's quite attractive. Right. And uh, yeah, so I met them, I was with uh, Mayokono which is my wife Rwanda, yeah. and uh, we're we finished up all of this this convention stuff and uh, they were back there counting, looked like Willy Wonka cards, all the gold cards. Because to get in this convention, you paid 130 bucks to get in. To get in, right. And if you wanted an autograph, you paid another 100 bucks. Wow. Because then you wow. close and personal. They, they have it all worked
0: out. So now, are are they together? Like, are they friends still? Or are they still-
1: Yeah, yeah. Inside of, each other? Well, I thought I was in, uh, and I, did this once to buy uh, underground tickets to a, to a show, to actually to the Olympics. And I went into this uh, this cellar man, smoke filled room, like it felt like there was gangsters and that's where you could buy stuff. So the room kind of reminded me of this where they're hunched over like two saloon cowboys, right? Dealing out sort of like the cards. Yeah. And, and that being said, there was a stack of these Wonka cards, right? Well, these gold bars are worth some money. So they're working it out. They completely forgot that Ron and I are in the same room now. By, I, I'm in this room, and behind me is a wall full of toy figurines, right? And trek books, and and he used to write a series of these trek books, right? And so there's boxes of these books to be sold.
0: Yeah, tech war and, and, and whatnot. tech war. Thank you, exactly. Yeah, sure.
1: So I'm I'm back there, and we're doing our thing, and we are the proverbial elephant in the room. And then it was amazing; <laughs> they both stop together, right? It's like, huh? and I, I just run the night frozen like I don't know and they and the next thing you know I was politely asked to
0: leave right so they're sitting there counting their poker chips <laughs>
1: they were counting money
0: yeah. and, uh,
1: and I was the interloper time for me to go
0: Interloper. Time for me
1: to, yep. oh so my. I did one of these
0: gone so this is terrific you've had so many encounters with the Star Trek universe at least the first cast. Yeah. Okay. What about what about the second? Have you ever met the Next Generation group?
1: Yeah. No. I was fortunate enough to continue that sort of uh, that thread. So I had a chance to meet a lot of folks from the, the Next Generation, right? How, and uh, at this time, I'm working uh, for Space Imagination Station. Okay. So it was kind of a nice fit, and then I end up heading to uh, to Los Angeles again on the set, a Paramount set for the film Nemesis. Oh, really? That was directed by uh, Stuart Baird.
0: Right, okay.
1: Stuart so Baird was an Oscar winning editor. He did a lot of the films, but uh, they gave him the helm. He was going to direct a $60 million project.
0: It tanked. Yeah, well, he wasn't really a Trekky guy, he, didn't, he, he never actually watched Star Trek. Well, which I think is is important. You kind of need to know those nuances, particularly when you pick
1: up a franchise, and I could uh, we could argue that for the Spider-Man one, for example, uh, the Marvel catalog. You need to know those backstories. You,
0: you really do. You yeah, really yeah. do. So, but yeah, regardless of that, yeah, you are in Paramount's lot. Yeah, man. Tell me, yeah. tell me all about it. Like, like I'm, blah, blah, yeah. blah, I'm starting on my
1: trekking. you know, we're talking, going to a place that is, is representational of the golden era of, of Hollywood moguls and movie making. This still, this is yeah. a place where like people like Mary Pickford would walk through the gates into Paramount.
0: So I didn't know she was on Star Trek,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but she was familiar with the Cecil B. DeMille set. And these right. are huge Quanson huts. The Star Trek one is mostly shot in stage 18. Right. It's it's massive. Right. And you can understand why when you try to go ahead and shoot a scene with part of the NCC 17 or whatever number this one is. uh, Yeah, this is the place to do it. So I was there. I was hunting around backstage because I'm where on behalf of the uh, Paramount Pictures and I'm working with their promotional team. And again, Terry David Mulligan to shoot a, a promotional bit for the film. Okay. And so I make a wrong turn and I'm backstage. I'm in the <laughs> ether. I mean, I am lost. That's a quagmire of hell where I am. And I see a, a stage hand has been working too long. And I say, "Hey, man, now where's the just points?" So I, <laughs> I didn't even finish my sentence. So I went that way. And I bump into a guy. Okay. With a British accent and a fedora. And he's lovely. We get along well. But I tell him my agenda is I got to get to the set. He's, "Oh, well, then you should follow me." So I followed this guy. He happened to be Stuart Baird, the director. He took me right to the epicenter of the show, right by the camera position.
0: No shit.
1: Yeah, brother. And guess who I met?
0: Who? I met two characters.
1: One had yellow eyes. Trekkies, come on, man. You know who this is? Android type of character? Did I hear? Data. It was Data. awesome. So I'm meeting Brent Spiner. Yeah, after. Actually, he found out that I was a patsy. Robin Williams found out I was a patsy, and so did Eugene Levy. And once they found out they could throw a couple of comedic lines and I would melt, he played on me up. So every time Brent Spiner came back from a shot, he would kill me. That was a puddle. Really? Yeah, I couldn't keep it together. He's very funny, lovely guy. The other guy there was, of course, another captain. Captain Picard. Okay. Yeah, Patrick Stewart, man. Every bit, the, the, the English gentleman you think, and he is, the genuine article, fantastic. And another guy, which I found, this is weird, and I think he was just there because there's another set they shoot in a lot of stuff, which just across the little laneway. Okay. This is where people are dressed in different costumes, you know, heading to the commissary. All right, it's sure. cool, man. You know, you might see a Roman legionnaire walk by. Yeah. Somebody dressed for a cowboy, <laughs> Western period. It's like, this is Hollywood. Uh so that person with jonathan frakes okay uh and that was interesting because he wasn't in that scene he was just hanging out with us it's kind of cool
0: nice yeah, nice yeah. so you're there um primarily to have interviews with the cast or talk about about the new movie coming out for space is that of course you are talking
1: yeah of course we were talking about the new movie uh this was a little bit of a darker movie for them. The idea of the nemesis characters, right? And some of the, like, you kind of leads to where that kind of vampire aesthetic, if you will. Yeah. And actually, I believe one of the persons that was responsible for most of the prosthetics and makeup uh, came from that horror background. So it's sure. perfect. But what was cool is, like, you get into a place like that that's so wonderfully nostalgic. And I went specifically to this little laneway. And it's called, and you'll love it, Leonard Nemoy Way wow. in Avenue C. And these crossroads in the studio is, is paramount. Catch the click. Because uh, if you look up from that position, you'll see the Hollywood sign, the huge landmark. It's fantastic. And it really hits home that, wow, I'm in a Hollywood
0: movie studio. Yeah. 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 Well, I remember being there with you yeah, back man. in... uh 19- or 99. No, oh, 99. Oh, 99. It was 99, 99. for the, uh, yeah, the release of the Amplifier film. Yes, man. Uh, the great Glenn Forbes directed yes. uh, sci-fi. Yeah. And you were the DOP. And... Oh, I wrote the music oh, I did the score I reached beyond my
1: exciting to see our movie projected in Hollywood at the yeah. Hollywood Film Festival. It was pretty cool.
0: What an amazing time. I didn't meet anybody from the Star Trek universe then, no. but in this case, you're there. Yeah. Uh, did you have, who'd you interview?
1: Uh, well, we ended up, in, and Patrick Stewart was, was so excited about this because he loved the moment. Anybody's working in a studio after a while, it's a box, no matter how big it is right and you're under pressure so to purge a little bit of that get a bit of a risk respite from production you follow us outside we jumped on one of those little golf carts you know and drove down near the building we set up patrick love and, and he kept hanging around we were done the interview you know maybe 15 20 minutes ago and that's that's like a lifetime in t- in filmmaking and until finally some guy really hammering us with the radio going mr stewart's got
0: to go Right. He's got to go back to set. Yeah. And he's just like being outside. Outside in the fresh air. He love, yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that's it. great. Well, I, I hear he's he's quite the genuine character, too. Like he's a real he's a gentleman,
1: gentleman. And he, he kind of reminded me, if I was to, if I was going to play, get some musician to play Patrick Stewart, I would have had Charlie Watts play him.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> interesting. Sort of resonated their character. interesting. Oh, that's yeah. cool. He said one can play drums better than the other.
0: So, when we... Think of Patrick Stewart yep. playing drums. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> other than the Stones, yeah. Yeah. what sort of alien bands would he have been
1: in? Well, he could have maybe worked with a uh, Ferengi mm, or an Andorian extraterrestrial. Who knows? I like that.
0: You hear that? Speaking of, is that timing? That really is. <laughs> well, speaking of Western themes, no. oh, uh, nice let's stuff. let's go out west. Let's yeah. go out west because. You talking about that little hamlet out in Alberta? Well, I just want to know—you've been to Vulcan. How how hot is it? Because it's a volcanic planet.
1: Well, that's that's the great misnomer because uh, Vulcan, as you know, was a, a mythological Roman god, right? Yeah. And uh, there happened to be a railway worker making their way, trekking across this sea, to shining sea, this great country of ours. Sure. And he stops in his little hamlet because he's working on the rail- railway and thinks, hey, I'm going to name this town Vulcan, Alberta, which is kind of good when you're talking about the
0: Roman god of fire and kind of blacksmithing, right? Sure. Yeah, made sense. So in Vulcan… Yep. Yeah. You got to tell me because I've never been, but uh, I understand you've been. Tell me about it. I've been there by there a couple of times,
1: oddly enough. And it's great because in this little town, they actually have a replica of the USS Enterprise seventeen oh. I think they call their one 1995, obviously, time of construction. Okay. And it's on a plinth. And it's right beside the Trans Canada Highway. So it doesn't get more Canadian than that when you're traveling on Highway 7.
0: Really? Yeah. Well, and is it volcanic or is it just a prairie town?
1: Just a beautiful prairie town where you might, if you're lucky, get the entire uh, uh, town council to come out in full dress regalia, Star Trek, and the band. You get a marching band. Remind you of the Music Man when they're out there. It's yeah. fantastic. But they have Pat this God's own little uh, souvenir shop. Okay. Now I'm a souvenir hand, so I went straight there. And while I'm there, uh, there's all manner of Star Trek souvenirs. But my favorite was you can get the Vulcan ears there. Wow, okay, sure. a huge prize. And I love it because there's a little sign there and it says, yeah, Spock is my homeboy.
0: (laughs) So let me ask you this. Has the homeboy ever been home?
1: Well, and to your point, there was a campaign in 2010, 2010, and that was to bring Spock home.
0: Wait until Bill Shatner hears about this. (laughs) 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 I have been a Vulcan for 44 years. I did. It was about time I came home.
1: (laughs) And uh, Leonard Nimoy wasn't at at great health at this period, but he did make it up there in April that same year. And... uh, I want to read this verbatim because I thought the Calgary Herald did a nice job as a eulogy to Spock because Spock went up and made a point of putting his handprint so that, uh, yeah, he can be remembered by and pay homage to this town that connected with him. Connected. So the Calgary Herald, uh, and I quote, In the center of town, snow fluttered in the biting wind that rustled the plastic wrap of flowers laid down on a bust and plaque from Nemoy, which included his Vulcan salute handprint set in bronze. Hey, Amen. Nicely done.
0: Wow, that's terrific. Amazing. Well, that is only part of this essay. So I want to invite you to keep tuning in to the uh, cornrc.com podcast, Confessions of a Rock and Roll Cameraman podcast. And Please subscribe, become a VIP member on our mailing list at the website, or make a comment in the section below. Uh, Subscribe and hit that bell, of course, to keep getting information from us. And again, thank you very much for tuning in. Tony, thanks for sharing uh,
1: your stories. Star Trek's great. Continue watching, folks.
0: And we'll see you next time.